tuning in and thank you so much for telling your friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas the most talked about afternoon radio show in all Lubbock and the region I'm your host Jay West Texas Leeson across the way little sister Lauren Huff all done with finals all done I can't tell you the relief I feel to not have to go home and think about school tonight you know um, that's yeah, really good. You've gained some notoriety, and I use the term notoriety. You might say popularity, because we had uh, State Representative James White on yesterday while you were taking care of the last final. Oh, okay. And he asked for Little Sister's perspective at one point, to which, wow. you know, I kind of put one hand over the other and rotated my thumbs and thought, awkward turtle, she's <laughs> not here. It's clean. That makes me feel good, though. On the other side of Texas, so, you know, I'm thinking through a couple of things, and, you know, we had Brock Wagner, the CEO of St. Arnold's Brewing Company on a couple of weeks ago. And I went back through my notes, and I'm trying to put together a good blog to put up on OtherSideOfTexas.com. And it, it is so far in the weeds for a lot of people to understand what's going on with craft beer and, and how craft beer is fighting a, a big beer industrial complex. And I believe it was two or three weeks ago on this Friday that we had Brock Wagner on. And I went through my notes, and I just sat there, and I let the little, I, I let the little hamsters in my head. Just, I just set them free. How do I explain this in such a way that we get out of, like, House Bill that and this, that, and the other, where people's eyes just begin to glaze over? Right, because they don't understand. Well, yeah. Well, it's, it's not just, that they don't understand. It's just like, no, but here's the thing is that you get home, you're driving home from work, you've been pumping all these workbooks in your head all day long, been looking at ledgers, been trying to make ends meet, been trying to frame up and square up the foundation or, you know, whatever it might be. Man, I'm going to have, I'm on call this weekend, by the way. Wow. I'm on call to give birth. Well, to help Millie, the milk cow, Brandon Darby's okay. cow, I was wondering. give birth. Okay, that's kind of cool. That's going to be me. That's going to be me yeah, on the ground. Right. Millie, please don't kick. I'm pulling. Let's work together. Wow. You be the gas. I'll be the clutch. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of people driving home and looking at stuff, and you just don't want to waste, like, here's here's what's going on. I'm shooting you straight, and this is what's happening. And so I'm looking through all my notes, and in technical terms, after Prohibition in Texas, on this craft beer thing for just a second, mm-hmm. because I'm a craft beer guy. Yeah. And, you know, I... It's. I feel like I put in enough time in high school and college with Natty Light that at this point I can, uh, I can be like a craft beer connoisseur kind of guy. Uh, like me some Big Ben, some St. Arnold, uh, Dale's. I saw St. Arnold a lot when I was in Austin a few weeks ago for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere, so they're doing really well. Well, they're trying to do well. Yeah, they're trying. Given the circum, given the state government circumstances in Texas, and so, 
looking through my notes, this is the primer, and I'm gonna. It's Friday. We can talk about what I want to talk about. So it's uh, craft beer. And stick with me, because I think you're going to like the analogy that I build here. So after Prohibition, Texas came down and said, you know what, we don't want uh, well-capitalized interests monopolizing markets. So there are three components of the beer industry in Texas. There's brewing, there's distributing, and then there's the retail. And we don't want somebody doing all the brewing, the distributing, and the retail, because then you get into some monopolization. And we want there to be the free market activity and people that have access to the markets. And quite frankly, for you to go into a pub and not have to drink one kind of beer. Right. And for that beer to be stipulated at every pub within your driving vicinity. So in 1994... Texas legislature says, okay, we're going to allow some brew pubs, and you can buy, not only will they be brewing there, but you can buy the beers there. And then I'm looking at, and I'm going to cite the Texas Tribune, 2013 lawmakers this year, that year being 2013, approved legislation that allows small production breweries to sell their products directly to customers. So a little bit of modification to the three-tier rule that said, and I need to say that plainly, right now what we have is a three-tier rule, and this is what people get migraines about, is you got to either brew, distribute, or retail. And they made an exception for the quote-unquote brewing activity in Texas with craft brewers. So if you're a small production brewer, you can sell your products directly to customers to drink in the brewery's tasting room. But the old law preceding 2013 prohibited any direct sales by a production brewery, requiring samples to be free. Now, as of 2013 going forward, these breweries can sell up to 5,000 barrels at an in-house bar or beer garden, additionally brew pubs, which had been restricted to sell their beers at the brew pub, can sell to distributors. Now, fast forward to 2017, and you begin to get the brakes hit, and why? Well, in 2017, in the 85th legislature, there was House Bill 3287. Now, just bear with me, because I'm about to just break out what I came up with while I was looking at this today. House Bill 3287 said that uh, it would restrict operations brewers can have on their premises and requires larger brewers producing 225,000 or more barrels per year to purchase the beer they sell on their premises back from a distributor. And that's why some call it an extortion. We, yeah. We've we've made this much product, and now we got to pay for a distributor to come in uh, who's never going to come in because they're going to take it out of the brewery, take it back to their warehouse, however many miles away, and then bring it back. They're just going to pay them for that 20-foot transfer fee from brewery to bar. Wow. So, but they can sell on their premises from a distrib- distributor. That's the new law. But unless they're owned by a brewing giant, then they're exempt. They're exempt in all that. So if there's 
sponsored or owned by Big Beer, then they're exempt from all those rules of distribution. They can be under distri- under distribution. And that's where it gets a little bit, just, just stick with me. I got you. Just stick with me for just a second. Industry growth, therefore, can be cost prohibitive. So whenever we had Brock Wagner on, St. Arnold's, the oldest craft brewer in Texas, 94, is whenever he started because he had devised that in his Rice uh, University dorm room. He's brewing right now, he told us, 68,000 barrels. So it doesn't affect a lot of people, but what it does do is says, in effect, grow only so big or else, or else, you're going to, Texas law is going to come down on you. Now, Wagner called that a step backwards. Others call it an extortion tax. And uh, Wagner at that time, what he told us is the distributor doesn't actually want to pick the beer up from us, bring it to their warehouse, then ship it back to us so that we can serve it. They'll just give us an invoice for what we take out of the cold box and move to our bar and sell so that they get what he called a bumper tax. So you got to pay the distributor. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not coming and getting the beer. Yeah, and it, so whenever you go, the Texas Tribune wrote a great piece about Jay Root. Uh, was on a panel with Jay Root uh, recently. He went through and he talked about the distributors in the quote-unquote middle tier. And this is Phil Prezon, KXAN, I believe, in, in Austin, that the distributors... And this is where you follow the money. $11 million distributors have put into state campaigns since 2013. So they're trying to hold their place. Well, $1.8 million to Governor Greg Abbott since 2013. Another $845,000 to Dan Patrick. $585,000 to Joe Strauss one of the best representatives out of West Texas that we've had in a long time via San Antonio. But that makes for a very distributor-friendly Texas legislature. So the distributors see market innovation. They see guys like me, a lot of guys my age, like in that 40-year-old, 35 to 45-year-old demographic, really digging craft beer, and so they want to cut under the three-tier system they they want their cut and so some may see it as a as a regulatory scheme and i I think that that may be appropriate to call it that but there have been carve-outs lubbock preston smith airport has been a carve-out for this in that uh whenever what root says is whenever lubbock was dry remember we talked dry and we drank wet for 80 years in lubbock uh the legislature came in and carved out to bypass local voters to let them serve at the airport. Anyway, I, I, there, there I am getting the weeds. So, but speaking of the weeds, here's the deal. In all this, how do you make this clear to people? And this is how I'm going to write it up. Are you ready? Ready. What the legislature, what Texas lawmakers tried to do in the mid 1930s was to prohibit monopolization. What the legislature tried to do was to stop 
Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Let's just use that analogy for just a minute. What they didn't want was Mr. Burns from The Simpsons to come in and to buy Duff's beer, which Homer's all like all this talk about Apu being like a cultural appropriation and da da da. Like Homer is the white guy. Like he's making white guys look bad, but that's a whole other monologue. Uh, but here's the deal. They wanted to stop a well-capitalized Mr. Burns from buying Moe's Tavern and franchising Moe's Tavern and buying Duff's Beer and making Duff's Beer the only beer that you could drink because there's a monopolization from the brewery to the distributor to the retail. That's what they wanted to stop. Right, and I understand that, but... We're speaking almost 100 years ago now. That's right. It's and not so applicable. Th- there has to be some evolution to market initiatives and market changing with some alternatives. And so, but here's the deal. Mr. Burns, the figurative Mr. Burns in this equation, you know what he did? He became the distributor. Mm-hmm. He, I can't be the brewer, the distributor, and the retail guy. So I'm going to be the distributor. And so now Mr. Burns is running the distribution saying, okay, craft beer guys, you want to go? You want to succeed? You want to be successful? Where's my cut? And then he's tapping his fingers together. Right. <laughs> right, like I really got him this time. That's the best way, I think, to explain to people is that Mr. Burns is still running, and, and that, so then it's all counterintuitive. The thing that you were trying to prohibit in the first place was well-capitalized interest from driving the show, the beer industry show, the big beer industrial complex, but what do you have 100 years later? Big beer industrial complex, Mr. Burns running the beer industry right. at that point and through extortion taxes bumper taxes whatever you want to call it yeah i, mean, so I think i'm going to call it an extortion tax because i don't believe in that i mean i think that maybe it was applicable a hundred years ago but today it is not at yeah. all and it and it really screws over the the small you know small business support local business support small business but you can't grow and the, the whole point is that it's a disincentive to grow and right. even whenever brock wagner was on he told us that he thinks that craft brewers in texas the reduced value of their asset fell some 50 percent because of Wow, the place. And then I asked him, well, guys, lawmakers say, we'll go to break, but lawmakers say, look, they feel like they're going to lose distribution jobs in their districts, to which he said, can I say bull beep <laughs> on the radio, Darby, the honcho of Breitbart, Texas, on the road. Brandon Darby, there's an event for you tomorrow, somewhere near Houston, an evening with Brandon Darby. That's right. I'm, uh, I'm pulled off the side of the road in Tile, just outside of, uh, of Abilene. T-Y-E. That's right. Just out, uh, driving to Houston. And tomorrow I'm doing an event with uh, KPRC and iHeart Radio. Um, and it's a couple of hours of uh, me talking about the border and 
the community uh, asking questions, Q&A. It's a, an interactive border event in Houston, which I think it's a, an important town, uh, you know, important stuff to talk about, uh, uh, important issues. And I, I think that the tone that I take is an important tone, uh, you know, to, uh, for folks to adopt and to consider uh, when it comes to, the, to, to border issues. So I'm excited about it. Man, the evening. Eating, eating that in the room and drinking coffee while I talk to you. But how many people have had an evening with them? I mean, uh, buddy, you, you're really hitting some mile markers here. Oh, I'm having a good time, buddy. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I feel like uh, the platform, not only with Breitbart and Breitbart, Texas, but... Uh, just in general, I really feel like the message, you know, we have a lot of information. We, we've been paying attention and, and investigating and researching the U.S.-Mexico border and on both sides for many, many years, way before it was cool to do so. And now that we are, uh, now it is cool to do so, and a lot of people have interest in it. So we have a, a lot of information on border team goals, and, and I think that, you know, for whatever reason, uh, both the left and the right, uh, you know, find the message uh, palatable. Uh, you know, we we advocate for border security. We talk about what's wrong. We talk about cartels, but we also, you know, we make sure that our language doesn't dehumanize the people who are coming here. Do you think that's uh, the sticking? Yeah. That's where the flag comes up for the left to say, "Whoa, uh, we're talking about human beings." Is that what? Whenever you say that it's sticking out for the left and the right. Well, I think that it, I, I think that you know we're reasonable. Uh, we don't have any any hogwash in our in our message. Um, we're reasonable. We just talk about facts, you know, and we remind people that we are talking about human beings. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think that the language on the right, um, the language on the right tends to veer from that sometimes, and I think that's not a good thing. And I think the language on the left uh, tends to veer from acknowledging some of the realities in the border region. And I don't think that's a good thing either. So, so I is think it that both sides have some, some, you know, some issues with how they present the issue, uh, how they present the matter. And I think that, you know, we're in a prime position to, uh, you know, to kind of straighten that out in a loving way, you know, in a, in a kind and it's the conjunction, though. I mean, look, you and I, let's not pretend, like, you and I talk a lot about these issues, but what sticks out to me is that, for the right, it's the rule of law. Like, you've got to have principles that guide a society, and invariably, you've got to exclude. But I think the challenge that you present to the left is, uh, well, into the right, to an extent, is a rule of humanity, and that these are people, these aren't just statistics, these aren't just problems, they are people, what then and how then shall we do it? Well, I think, you know, it's an interesting situation because all sides have things that really matter to them, and, and all sides have many different facets, right? Like, on the right, there's, there's people who are really focused on the rule of law, there's a lot of people who are focused on... Um, you know, they, you know, they spend a lot of time in their life talking about Jesus. And, and for what I try to remind people, they go, hey, um, I'm not 
trying to say Jesus wants this policy or that policy, but I can definitely tell you in the Bible it talks quite a bit about the sojourner and it talks quite a bit about about the foreigner and it talks quite a bit about people coming in some cases times that they came when they when they weren't willing to come and and I can definitely tell you that our attitude on the issue needs to be in check with that. You know, um, if you want to take it from a biblical perspective, our attitude on the issue, that doesn't mean we have to allow people here. I'm not saying that Jesus wants there to be no bill. I'm not trying any of that stuff. What I'm telling you is that our attitude about it, our attitude when we talk about people, um, needs to be in check with that, if we're going to claim that we're Christians and that we're trying to be Christ-like. Uh, our attitude needs to be in check with that when it when it comes to talking about these policies. And I think uh, on the left, you know, they talk about humanitarian issues. They 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 care about humanitarian issues. And I think that um, you know, I think what they have a tendency to do is not acknowledge the, the horrifying humanitarian consequences of our current system and what's happening at the border on both sides, but primarily on the Mexican side. Uh, because of illegal immigration, they don't acknowledge that, and they don't. They, they talk about bringing a voice to people of color and other communities and marginalized communities. That's the language they use. But then they ignore the voices of millions of people in northern Mexico and the suffering that's being caused by our system and, and by the way that we're doing this. Um, they ignore that because they think it supports a right of center uh, narrative calling for border security, and it kind of does. Um, and so, so. All sides on this have some things that really aren't intellectually or, or aren't, in, aren't consistent with the rest of who they are. And so I think having the facts, having information, being able to discuss it in a polite uh, way, you know, in a respectful way with everyone, and, and pointing out to people uh, what's really occurring there, uh, it, 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 it has a little bit of sting for all sides, and it has a little bit of, of uh, honey for all sides, too, you know? Hmm. So, I want to talk about the caravan that just got across, the caravan of asylum seekers. Also, when you get into the Gulf, the Gulf Cartel handing out showering uh, presents on children, toys on children. But I just had this monologue in, Brandon, on my way to the show today, it clicked in my head. Let's go to Craft, craft Brewers for just a second. And you and I listened to Brock Wagner the other day at St. Arnold's. And I think a lot of our job, when we understand issues, is to make them as accessible as, it, as we can make them to people. And so this was my thought. You know the issue. It's three-tier. You're either going to distribute, you're going to brew, or you're going to retail. And it's this is whenever I was thinking about how do you make this coherent to people? Well, after prohibition, what Texas wanted to do was to stop, and this is a Simpsons analogy, stop Mr. Burns from buying up Duff's beer and Moe's taverns and brewing, distributing, and retailing, effectively having a monopoly. And today, what you have is Mr. Burns having to decide between retail, brewing, or distributing, and he decided on distributing. What do you make of that analogy? Is that good? You think I think that's a decent analogy for, for what's occurring. You know, I, um, but yeah, I think the larger point you're making, I think that's a good analogy when it comes to those small brewers we're talking about. But the larger point that you're making 
because I do think it's important with people who have a platform to use that platform. You know, most people don't have the time that we have uh, to look into issues. You know, I get, I get, my job is to look into issues, specific issues, but to look into issues in general that affect us, and then to find a way to present that to the public so they can understand those issues. That's my job. Um, uh, that's how I, that's how I make a living, and. I think that, that it's important. I think we're kind of at a time when a lot of people have their platforms and they're really not using it for those purposes, you know, and, and I think a lot of them use it to push a political agenda more than anything else. And some might say, well, you're from Brightbo. Who are you? That's laughable, but you would say that. And it's like, well, I can make a, a legitimate argument um, in, in good faith, but, but that's what, like most people in, in media covering anything political um, or anything that has political ramifications uh, does it in a way, even if, you know, like, like take, the, take the border, for instance. Like, we, we ad nauseum, we cover uh, the suffering going on in northern Mexico, yet we're bright though. CNN could say, hey, we've covered that before, and I would say, well, you covered Stormy Daniels, the problems around Stormy Daniels more in one day than you've covered the problems in northern Mexico in the last decade. You know, so so that's their bias, right? So they, they had a political agenda and they pushed that and they, they harped on it and harped on it until and because that's what was their priority. Um, so so all outlets right now have that problem and I do think that most more of us have to take that seriously. Like I think it's a great thing, like you and I learned about problems that that microbrewers have in the state of Texas and I think that uh, it's very important that we use the platform to try to, to bring to bring light to those issues, because you have a situation where, you know, the majority of people in Texas in power on the right, uh, they talk about the free market, they talk about um, the, the free market system of businesses and individuals being able to have uh, carte blanche to do whatever they want to do uh, when it comes to the economy and when it comes to their money uh, and when it comes to business. And they use those arguments and beat the hell out of people who want to see some regulation or want to see some government assistance in rural areas. Um, and then, you know, they go and do something, support a system that is absolutely uh, against the free market when it comes to microbreweries, you know. Um, and, and so they selectively care about the free market. And, and I think that that's an important thing to point out to people is that all of our Republican leadership who, who beat the drum of free markets it's very selective when they choose to do it. It's, it's like someone who, who, who gets on the pulpit and talks about homosexuality while they're you know, going to strip bars and cheating on their wives. And that, that's really what we're dealing with right now in the Republican Party. And if it isn't for people like you and I, um, you know, who, who I identify as on the right, I, I vote Republican uh, 99% of the time, um, and in fact, lately more of the time, even more than 100 percent of the time. But if it isn't for people like us really calling that out, um, then the party, uh, then the right, then conservatives in Texas are really uh, they're they're not going to be um, held accountable, and they're not going to have to be intellectually honest because that that is what we're seeing right now. You have, you know, you have the Michaels, you have the the Empower Texans, you have. All these groups who, who beat the hell out of the concept of the free market, and they would they call people like you sometimes. I've heard them call you a prairie socialist because you advocate for funding for rural public schools and advocate for some crop insurance. But then, you know, when it comes to, you know, they get a lot of their, their politicians and their leaders get a lot of money from from uh, 
from the big beer lobby, and uh, and then all of a sudden they're gonna they don't care so much about the free market anymore, right? So, they only care about it when it's politically expedient, and that's the kind of thing that you and I exist to challenge to make sure people are being intellectually consistent and have all of the information. So I want to get into a couple more things with you, and we're not going to play the headline game, but I want to ask you about the caravan of asylum seekers coming into the U.S. from Mexico and getting this great story on Breitbart, Texas. Go to Breitbart, Texas. You can see the story about the Gulf cartel showering presence down on kids. Uh, but to your previous point there, Brandon, I think that what people... You know, whenever you talk about, well, you can be here or there, and it, it's beginning, it, it, people just shift all the time. They shift on, it, it's, conservatism can become a pretty relative term whenever it comes to real principle and where you stand. And I think that we try to draw those things out, and, you know, I yesterday was thinking about, you know, what, General Hayden had to say, General Michael Hayden has this new book, and uh, he's drawing out how Greg Abbott got drawn into, and this is where he substantiates his point, is, you know, JDL-15 worked for Russian bots, and so they thought that they could come into the 16th election. But I think you, myself, to a lesser extent... Because they jump in at any point of American derision, right? They jump into any, whether that's right, right. Me so, Too I mean, or that's okay. Hands Up. Or, a, fact. a lot of the anti-fracking movement in Western Europe was funded by Russia. The left loves anti-fracking. They, they, they push anti-fracking, they fight anti-fracking, even though Russian interests uh, promote that, Russian bots promote that. Russian bot, Russia does not want to see other people in the world uh, export natural gas, like, obviously. So, but the left never says anything about that supporting Russian interests. When, when people were, you know, when people were beginning to lose faith in our law enforcement officers when it came to the, you know, hands up, don't shoot, and Black Lives Matter movement, Russian bots promoted that. Anything that would make people lose faith in Russia, uh, U.S. law enforcement and make people lose faith in our system, Russia tends to support uh, and tends to promote and tends to push. And one could make the argument that it promotes Russian interests, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't value to a movement um, just because Russia was like, hey, wait, this was so derision. So it's very interesting to me when left of center people, um, and right of center people do it too in different ways. I'm not making that argument. But in this case we're talking about, it's interesting to me when left of center people say, hey, um, you know, this one issue, Russian bots promoted it and this politician supported it. Well, if that's the case, why, why aren't they complaining about all of the Democrats who supported Black Lives Matter and, and, um, and Hands Up, Don't Shoot against U.S. law enforcement officers during the end of the Obama presidency? Yeah. Because the Russian bots promoted that too. Because anything that is making people lose faith in our system are causing derision in society is something that the Russian bot and that the Russian government is going to promote. And, um, but, Brandon, here's the deal. This is what, this is what yeah. you're pushing. 
you're pushing people to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I do this to, uh, to an extent as well. I think I said as much yesterday. There's a reason why 40% of the electorate feels the way that they do. And if you don't want to take time to listen to them and understand why they stand in those positions, now you may find it to be sinking sand, but at least give them the opportunity to explain their positions before you start listening to Russian bots deciding this is an enemy, somebody we need to annihilate, like in the 1980s, 1970s Cold War terms, right? Well, so, so that's what, you know, again, I, I think that there are people on the right and there are people on the left in positions of power, in circles of power, who engage in inconsistent logic, and I think that the rest of us need to hold them accountable and point out that it's inconsistent logic. I just went off about the right's inconsistent logic and how they'll, they'll use the, you know, the, the dogma of free market to beat somebody or an opponent or beat an issue upon the head, and then they turn around and do the, the, engage in, in government interference in the free market themselves. Um, uh, so it's hypocrisy, right? It's in intellectual inconsistency. But now we're talking about the left doing it. And the left does that a lot with Russian interference. Or with, that, both sides do this. All sides do this. Some of it unintentional, some of it intentional. But that's why it's so important that people like us hold people accountable and, and point out and point out inconsistency. Someone says, well, you're always contrarian. You're always critical. It's like, look, I'm not, my job isn't to come up here and rile you up and, and get you excited for your team. My job is to point out inconsistencies. When Democrats are in power and they hold, they have the biggest platform, well, then most of the time I'm going to point out their inconsistencies. When the platforms are held by Republicans, well, probably most of the time I'm going to be pointing out theirs because they're the ones in power right now. And that's my job, and that's my role in this world. Um, and, and so, I, I, like I said, I, I think I, like these two issues are, are, is much, in a weird way are connected with the Jade Helm stuff and what Hayden is claiming now. I mean, I, I think Hayden wants to sell a book, and so he's going to some, find some extreme way to say something to, to get headlines to the fact that he wrote a book. So I think what he's engaging in is intellectual dishonesty, um, and I think that he's trying to sell his book. That's what people do. That's what Comey did. That's what Clinton did. That's what... Everyone does when they want to sell a book is they find some like way to say something that gets attention and gets gets the news to talk mention the fact that they wrote a book. I, I don't give any I mean I saw I've seen a lot of headlines on Twitter and people saying, Abbott played into the hands of Russia. He should be asked about it. It's like shut up. You know, get out of here. There's enough things to criticize Abbott about that are real that aren't a bunch of bull. Like quit wasting people's time. You know, most people in this country and most people in Texas they go to work, they don't have time for all this crap. They go to work and they get home and they have a little bit of time to sit on their computer and look at the news. And then they have to do their toenails, shower, do their kids' toenails, do the kids' hair, do the kids' homework, make dinner, uh, get things ready, clean the car out, you know, life stuff. They don't have a lot of time. And so when you engage in this hyperbolic bull and try to fire people up and make them think that Abbott, you know, Abbott somehow, you know, is playing into the hands of Putin or something, then what you're doing is you're, you're really robbing people of their time with their family and with their, their limited time with their loved ones and riling them up, getting them focused in on, on some issue where they really don't need to be. 
it's a bunch of bull, and it's really not fair. It's the same thing I've, I've called out Michael for, Michael Quinn Sullivan with those mailers, um, uh, you know, saying somebody's not pro-life or somebody's for open borders or someone's a communist. Or I, I call him out for it, and now I'm calling the left out for his anti-Abbott stuff. It's just a bunch of bull. And all of you folks who, you know, are thinking about, you know, going somewhere this weekend or, or joining some political group because Abbott's the stooge of Putin, don't, don't waste your time and take time away from your family over this bull crap. Like, don't do it. Uh, Abbott's not a stooge of Putin. Um, you know, Ken King is not a, a, a pro-choice, open borders time. You know, I mean, come on, you know. Let's not bull crap people. Let's not do that to people and, and, and rob them of their family time. Mark, Texas boss Brandon Darby. So I'm on call this weekend. You're going to this big uh, evening with Brandon Darby down in Houston. And, uh, hey, I'm ready. If Millie is ready, if Millie the milk cow is ready, I'm ready. Anytime. Well, I appreciate that, buddy. If she's I'm ready to give birth. About it. Yeah, it's the first time that I've had a cow, um, and it's the, consequently the first time I've had a cow who's pregnant. And... Um, it's actually affected my border and cartel coverage, my Mexican, because I keep thinking she's about to have the baby. And uh, now that I've read more and, and watched more YouTube videos and talked to more vets and more people, it looks like she's going to have it in a, in a week or two. So uh, I'm actually really nervous leaving town because of my milk cow, um, a cow I've gotten very close to who turned out to, you know, was a very aggressive uh, animal when I first got her, and now she's a sweet cow, and, and I, I love her. And so I'm really worried that I'm not going to be there. And to the listeners, Jay is on call, mm -hmm. so if the people are taking care of my place, I realize Millie is in labor. Jay has agreed to go over and help birth the baby. I'm going to pull. Um, in my uh, whichever who's first, I'll pull. I work it, and you know, what, I, what I've thought in my mind is I'm going to work it like a clutch and a gas. I'll be, I'll be, she'll be the clutch, I'll be the gas. Is, is Millie's ready to push? Like it, buddy. Okay. That's what I've got in my mind. Yeah, but I do appreciate that, by the way. I, I, I really do. Um, I'm trying not to leave town, like I said, but this event isn't something I, I could miss or would miss. And, uh, you know, and, and Millie is an important milk cow. She's a Jersey, delicious milk, and uh, my daughter is very attached to her. So the the idea of something happening to her, her being alone through that experience, is horrible to me. So hopefully it doesn't happen until I get back. But but uh, it's good to know that Jay Leeson is there just in case it does. But see, That's here's the thing: is the last time I was really around Millie, she was aggressive, and so I'm hoping that. I go, you know, I just assage her real, like I'll rub her down the side. I'll say, Millie, it's Dr. J here to help you. And then I'll rub her on the head, and then she won't kick me in the forehead while while we're delivering. That's that's my big hope. I'm going to tell you, that's a friend, though. A friend, you know, someone willing to stick their entire arm up the cows you're in for you or a back end. Yeah, a uh, back end. Is, uh, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good friend, I'll tell you. And I appreciate that. I mean, you say I'm just going to get a lot of free milk out of the deal. So <laughs> it kind of works. Her milk. Hey, her milk was good, wasn't it? It's good milk. Millie puts out some good milk. I'll give you that. Hey, uh, 70, okay. 70 men, women, and children. I'm reading for Reuters so that you can tell us if this is correct or not. So fake news with 
Brandon Darby here. Seventy men, women, and children were allowed to into the crowded port of entry border crossing early yesterday morning, and another 62 migrants were still waiting for a chance to begin the asylum process. Uh, the caravan's 2,000-mile odyssey from southern Mexico is mostly Honduran, Salvadoran, and Guatemalan members kept hoping that they would ultimately get the chance to make their case for the asylum in the United States. All the while, they have not they have known their pleas might be rejected. U.S. border officials had allowed through only small groups at the time, saying the busy San Ysidro crossing it to San Diego was saturated and the rest must be patient. Is that an accurate depiction of what's going on based on your knowledge, Brandon Darby? Uh, it is, and I want to remind people, like a lot of people on the right especially are, are angered and they're like, stop those people. They're coming in illegally. They're, you know, Donald Trump today in a speech referred to them as illegal aliens, but they're not. And, and that, rather than be mad at them, you need to understand a few things. I want to point some facts out. The facts are that that is perfectly legal for them to do it. That is our law. They are not exploiting a loophole. They are not taking advantage. They are utilizing a major feature, a prominent feature of our immigration law, that people can come here, set foot on our soil, and ask for asylum, and then we have to wait and, and go through a process. If that makes you mad, and, and it might make you mad because a lot of Republican leadership right now, and um, especially in Congress, are putting out press releases trying to make you mad at those people, and really you should be mad at those people putting out press releases because they're lawmakers and they haven't changed the immigration law. They know the immigration law, and they haven't put forward any bills to change that immigration law. So don't be mad at the people following the law. Be mad at the lawmakers who are trying to point fingers so that you don't hold them accountable for not changing the law. The Democrats could have changed the law. They had from 2009 and 10 with Obama. They controlled the entire government. They did not do that. And they could have, have, have engaged in immigration reform. They did not do it. And the Republicans have controlled uh, you know, uh, 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 the entire government since Trump was elected, and they have not changed those laws. So you don't have to like what's happening on, uh, when it comes to people requesting asylum. But rather than be mad at them, you should be mad at the Republican leadership right now and at the Democrat leadership. They're the ones who allowed the laws to be what they are. They're the ones who have not changed those laws. And all they're doing right now is pointing fingers at those people because they're hoping to God that all of their constituents don't look at the facts and go, wait a minute, you're pointing fingers at them, they're following the laws that you allowed. You're the one responsible for what's happening on the border, not those people. Those people live in an environment that's horrible, they have no economic opportunity, a lot of them die because of violence and their daughters get taken by transnational criminal groups and forced into prostitution. Of course they're going to come if our laws allow them, you're the lawmaker, why haven't you done something about it? I'm just telling people, I'm not advocating that everybody gets to stay. I'm not saying allow everyone to stay. What I'm telling you is that if it makes you mad what's happening on the border right now, you need to hold those lawmakers accountable, not, not be mad at those people for following the law. The lawmakers are presenting that they're taking advantage of a loophole 
they're exploiting our snow. That's a major feature of our lab, of, of that people can come here and do that. And those lawmakers have left it just as it is. Rule of law. Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas, joining us here. Headline on Breitbart, Texas, Gulf Cartel showers poor Mexican border city children with toys, Matamoros, members of one of Mexico's most violent criminal organizations delivered thousands of toys to children from some of the poorest neighborhoods in Matamoros. The practice follows a long line of events where cartels seek to portray themselves in a positive light despite the seemingly endless violence they cause. The philanthropic event took place um, as Mexico celebrates children on a day known as Dia del Nino. What's really going on here? They didn't just find it in their hearts to go shower children with toys. Uh, what's the real well, story? They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to influence public opinion, and they're trying to present themselves like that they're nice, that they're doing good services, they're not just narco cartels. Um, but they are. In this case, it's the Gulf Cartel, which is one of the most brutal in Mexico. Uh, they routinely kill hundreds of women and children. Uh, they routinely, they, when they, they take money from migrants uh, to come illegally into the United States, no one crosses their territory without paying them money, and once they take the money, they oftentimes leave them in the back of an 18-wheeler tractor trailer in the heat, and they just lock them in there and leave them and let them die, and they put them in mass graves. Uh, when you know, Up to 80% of the women from Central America and girls who travel through their territory are sexually assaulted in their territory. Uh, they are not nice people, and what they are trying to do is influence public opinion. Um, and make themselves look like something they're not. We see that with criminal groups in the U.S., with Toys for Tots sometimes, uh, when it comes to the banditos. Uh, we see that in, with Hezbollah in, in, um, in the Middle East, uh, issues surrounding Israel and Lebanon, and you see them running hospitals and doing education while they're also our terrorist organizations. Um, so with the Gulf Cartel, no. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me, doesn't make me think differently of them, but they definitely are trying to influence public opinion. He's Brandon Darby, at Brandon Darby on Twitter. Again, you find all these stories that we've talked about, uh, especially the last two alluded to there at uh, Breitbart, Texas. We'll get you on your way to an evening with Brandon Darby down in Houston. Thanks for taking time, buddy. I appreciate you having me on. Running into the last few moments of this Friday edition here, and I promised this yesterday. I swear, like, this is something that really grinds my gears. And I don't want to get off on a tangent, but there are some people who look, who are looking into the wall and they say, well, that guy's really handsome. Look at that guy. Big guy. And what they think is that they are, they're looking at a picture of Jesus. But really, they're just looking into the mirror. Because what they've done is they've made a God who looks exactly like themselves. And I think it's super... Uh, you got to be really cautious whenever you just assume that you and the Lord God Almighty are on the same side. Whenever you begin to conflate those two, whenever your political philosophy becomes your theology, and, and I don't care where you are on the political spectrum, super dangerous. And so... I say that, and I'm being serious, but in parody, yesterday I mentioned that I wanted to play you a clip by this 
bozo named Josh Feuerstein. It's, I don't know if I'm saying it right or not. F-E-U-E-R-S-T-I-S-T-E-I-N. And this guy's like a Christian evangelist on Facebook, but somehow he begins to conflate his perspective with his political ideology. And guess what? That's a high-risk, high-reward proposal. Because in the end, if you're proven wrong, then you forfeited a lot of what you had to say on the theological side, on the religion, on the on the conversion side, if I may, on the evangelical side. And here we are in 2018. The news comes down. We just talked with Brandon Darby just a minute ago about how, well, if you're going to bring up Jade Helm 15 and what happened in Texas and people getting duped by Russian bots, then, and I said it before Darby got on too, then what about the, the hands up, don't shoot, what about every divisive context, uh, conflict that comes into the country? The Russians just want to divide. Mm-hmm. But here's a guy who went hook, line, and sinker and put his religious credentials, his evangelical cre- credentials on the line. And I'm going to call him out right now because it's baloney. And it has no place in the public. If you want to do that, then create another Facebook page where, hey, I'm Joshua Furstein, the political jackass. Like, do that. But don't conflate the Son of God in with it. And I just want to play it for you now because now in 2018, makes perfect sense. This is hey him guys, up? Josh Furstein, in Midland. At the Midland Walmart that is supposedly shut down for plumbing problems, but we know that it is the Jade Helm Center. Look at it. It's deserted. The Jade Helm Center. And we Helm have Center. cops, literally cops, says store temporarily closed. We have cops here, and check them out. Right here, ladies and gentlemen, the Midland Police Department is protecting what? An empty Walmart? An empty Walmart? Tell me something that's not, that isn't going on here. You see, the problem is this. And here's the way that I look at it. Pause, pause, pause. You take a Walmart. So, there are empty Walmarts in a lot of places. It's they begin to reset. But here's a guy who's bought in the bots in his own logic, in his own mind, and now he's going to call. What was the first thing? Look, who who do you see? Who do you see? Well, what about back in the blue? Like, yeah. these are your neighbors and your friends, and you're saying that these people are holding this facility open, and I'll let him explain what their motivations are, but presuming motivation on these people, it, just a terrible look, but go on. would they choose a Walmart? Why would they choose five different Walmarts? Let me tell you why. Because if you're planning something on a national scale, you have to do something that you're able to reproduce over and over and over and over. You're able to scale it on a, in a large manner really, really quickly. And so, of course, you would choose a Walmart because every city has one. Start thinking, people, what is going on? Why would they close down, literally close down, and say that they're out of business for the next several months? Why? Why? For plumbing problems? All five of them? And here they are being guarded by the police, ladies and gentlemen. What is really going on? What's, just take a long look here. And he doesn't what want to say. What is really going on here, y'all? 
but you know what he's implying. Yeah. Look at this. They're, they're going to start being part of us the in there for so what? the Chinese can take over. For what? That's what he's saying? Yes. What? That's exactly what he's saying. Scary guys. Midland, Texas, Josh Fierstein here. It's time that America wakes up and realize something's happening. Something's happening. Please take a moment and click share on this video, like and comment below. If you're not my friend already on Facebook, click below the top of the video. Let's be friends. Um, Why? Because you need everyday truth. People need to wake up and realize um, stuff's going on. Look. I, I don't typically take up friendship with whores, Josh. And I say that strong language, even though it is Friday, as we go home. But here was, here was the conspiracy theory, and this is Hartford Currents. Uh, Jim Shea said that, quote, there's a psychological operation going on within Jade Helm aimed at getting people used to seeing military forces on the streets so that there can be an operation aimed to seize people's guns and that recently closed Walmarts used by the military to, quote, stockpile supplies for Chinese troops who will be arriving to disarm Americans and a military plan to, quote, round up political dissidents and remove key political figures who may be against the imposition of martial law as under Jade Helm 15. It just... That is not going to happen. Well, it's it didn't. It, my point is that I'm playing it now because it didn't happen. Right. And, you know, you weren't here yesterday because you were doing your finals. Right. But whenever you only consume one source of media, and that's all you consume, then you're going to wind up with these kinds of outcomes. Let some ideas, just like what Brandon Darling, he went at the left, he went at the right. Let some things get figured out in your mind before you're like, like some people on the left are the most, like it seems like they are super patient and super, but they can be the most visceral at all. I see this, on I got hit twice a day on Twitter because of it. I mean, they come swinging. And, but they point they at the right. Come, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, and the same thing goes on the right. Yeah, I mean, you know, people need to yeah, be educated. Obviously, this Feuerstein, Feuerstein, whatever it is, uh, proves the point. So, all I have to say, pitch the program. We try to come down the center for you and let you know what's going on, and we'll let some ideas begin to be fleshed out here. And, you know, we do have the Arringtons on. We've got... Uh, We've had Beto O'Rourke on, and we are going to have the Democrat candidate for lieutenant governor come on, Mike Collier, in the next couple of weeks. And we'll just let those ideas simmer, because I don't think that West Texans like to knee-jerk, and I don't think that rural Texans like to knee-jerk. They just want to get the skinny, and we hope that we give it to you here. So, with that, uh, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Over the weekend, we'll be... Uh, on Facebook at Other Side of Texas, Twitter at OSTX Show, Other Side of Texas.com. We're going to close out this week. Don't listen to Jack A. Money Monies. We'll see you next week here on Other Side of Texas. One night in Kansas City, after we played the show, shots rang out, vast on the wall.